Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, June 27th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... Much of Mississippi will face dangerously high temperatures. A record-setting heat wave is heading our way from Texas. Then a new law will soon require Mississippians verify their age to gain access to obscene websites. Plus, the largest teachers association in the state announces their first round of political endorsements. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Temperatures across the state expected to reach between the high 90s and even break into the triple digits this week. It will likely feel close to 115 outside. That's because a heat dome is drifting towards Mississippi from Texas. David Cox is lead forecaster at the National Weather Service in Jackson. He explains more with our Mike McEwen. This is just typically a, a very strong high pressure uh, with very warm uh, temperatures uh, above the ground that basically are going to support uh, hot temperatures uh, over the next several days. So this will gradually build to the east. Uh, it, at least some portion of that will into uh, later into the week, uh, really, after, especially by mid to late week and into early weekend, uh, there's potential for temperatures that could reach into the upper 90s or even into the low 100s for several days. Um, combined with uh, increased moisture and the recent rains, our heat indices are more than likely fairly easily going to top 110 degrees and could be even 115 plus. And so in those environments, especially for several days, uh, heat stroke becomes increasingly likely and imminent uh, with prolonged outdoor activity. So we uh, definitely recommend to uh, stay hydrated, take frequent breaks, um, and you you really want to uh, limit. Um, you want to have a clothing that definitely doesn't you know absorb heat, uh, rather will help propel that uh, away. And uh, so yeah, that's going to be a concern, especially with the recent storms that we uh, saw yesterday. Some. Uh, area residents are dealing with power outages, and so that makes it even more of a, a concern this week. And the heat domes, do they pose any sort of risk to that power infrastructure that you were just speaking about? For more uh, extreme heat, that does uh, at least stress some of the uh, power infrastructure in terms of um, 
residents using, um, you know, central air, air conditioning. And uh, but for the most part, it's going to be more just the heat stress concerns of being outdoors. Uh, but definitely uh, in the more extreme heat situations, that can cause some uh, stress on the uh, infrastructure, that power infrastructure. Yes, sir. I'm so far unaware of a heat dome actually growing or expanding in surface area over land, and that's what this one that's in Texas currently is projected to do. Is that a typical behavior for a heat dome? Yes, I mean, as sometimes it, it's dependent on. It's not, I, I wouldn't say it's a completely the area of heat. Exp, uh, it, not only does it build, but it's also dependent on the uh, up, other upper atmospheric patterns going on as those uh, move off to the east then that can can as you mentioned build to the east it it doesn't just drive right into it uh, it's going to gradually build to the east as other uh, other factors that are blocking it from moving um, are moving out of the way if that makes sense so something like the jet stream for example exactly yes as a jet stream right now has blocked that um that over South Texas and into northern Mexico, that's going to gradually build to the northeast because that jet stream is starting to pull away. The, uh, what brought us the severe weather yesterday is moving off to the northeast. And some of that's dependent on patterns even further up into the uh, northern Atlantic, uh, which has kind of kept this pattern pretty persistent. But, uh, but we are getting more into that high-pressure building over top of us, which will then bring the heat. And I suppose a question just on a larger scale, I believe earlier this year I saw that this summer was forecasted or maybe projected as the word to be an El Nino year and maybe an extreme one. Is that impacting on this at all? That definitely I can have an impact on the jet stream pattern. And that uh, had some impact on the more recent uh, active jet stream that we've seen over the last couple of weeks brought us all of this severe weather uh, so yes yeah, that those those are basically the temperatures uh, in the uh, Pacific Ocean uh, that causes uh, changes in those uh, either warming uh, from which, which is El Nino um, that's going to cause jet stream changes across the, the US and North America so yes that definitely has an impact and just one final question relating to the heat dome here in Mississippi when are you all projecting it, I suppose, to lift or to uh, dissipate a bit? Well, we're expecting this to last into next weekend, but then it will uh, begin to uh, let up as we go into the following weekend. Uh, that high pressure uh, will gradually build to the east, and then we will get another another buckle in the jet stream, which should start to lessen the grip of the heat across the region. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to explain this all to me. Sure. That's David Cox, lead forecaster with the National Weather Service in Jackson, speaking with our Mike McEwen. Today, much of Mississippi west of I-55 and portions of the Pine Belt are under a significant heat stress warning. Peak heat indices could reach 115 degrees. Coming up, a new law will soon require age verification to view adult content online. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
I'm guessing that MPB Think Radio is the number one preset on your radio and you listen all the time. But if you need some unplugged listening suggestions, try a binge of one of our podcasts. Our weekend shows, This American Life and Radio Lab, are great to have downloaded for when you're traveling or at the beach. Don't forget about our local shows. Now you're talking and Creature Comforts are terrific experiences anytime. MPB Podcasts for your listening pleasure anywhere. Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Please join me and my colleagues for the Mississippi Arts Hour, where we have in-depth conversations with different creative Mississippians. That's the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sundays at 5 on Think Radio, or download it as a podcast. The MPB Public Media app just got an update. It's now easier than ever to interact with your favorite MPB local shows and experts. With the brand new Talk To Us feature, you can engage with your favorite MPB local shows anytime, day or night, directly through the app. Simply select Talk To Us from the MPB Public Media app's menu. There, you can leave a question, share show ideas, or simply just say hello. With the new Talk To Us feature, you have access to your favorite MPB local shows and experts anytime you want to talk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A new law goes into effect this weekend that requires adult websites to implement an age verification feature. Mississippians 18 years and older will have to use their state-issued ID to prove their age. But the law does not prescribe a way for websites to accomplish this. Senate Bill 2346 has been described as a way to protect children from viewing obscene content online, and it received bipartisan support in both chambers. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Dylan McLemore, a Mississippi College alumni and associate professor in communications at the University of Central Arkansas. He says Louisiana implemented a similar law last year, and our state is one of several following suit. I think there's a a number of different ways that you can approach the law and some others like it around the country. Uh, There are some First Amendment issues with the right to anonymous speech and association Uh, There's also uh, issues with uh, privacy, as you mentioned, and basic constitutional issues about narrowly tailored laws and whether they achieve a substantial state interest. I think all of those are at work here. Uh, Regarding privacy, most of these laws, including Mississippi's, requires that your personal information be shared with the platform, the government, a third-party company, or, or some combination of those three. Uh, None of those laws permit retaining the data, so that's supposed to be a privacy consideration that lawmakers have thought of. But you brought up Louisiana, and just last week they had a data breach that exposed the addresses and Social Security numbers of everyone with a driver's license. And so if it's going to be the state holding the information, can they keep it secure even in that brief period that they're retaining it? And if it's a third-party company or if it's the platform themselves, how do we ensure that they're protecting that data and discarding it when they're supposed to. Something that I think is interesting about this is states taking up the role that traditionally has been held by the FCC, uh, Federal Communications Commission. What are your thoughts as a communications experts seeing states begin to take on that role and mandate what can and cannot be seen by everyone? Right. Regulating the Internet is always interesting because who has jurisdiction over the Internet? We have plenty of court cases early in the Internet age where the United States tried to 
uh, claim indecency regulations, which is something the FCC regulates, so that we could regulate indecency on the Internet internationally. Uh, that was quickly found to not be feasible and to be unconstitutional on top of it. Uh, so there's always been a question of who exactly gets to police Internet space. Uh, with the advances in location technology and being able to figure out where people are logging in from, uh, that has allowed states to uh, have their own regulations for what happens on the Internet, including uh, these laws that are more focused on obscenity or social media use. You mentioned earlier that this could raise some concerns for First Amendment rights. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. So first of all, whenever you're discussing the constitutional merits of a law, that's not the same as endorsing the content. So this shouldn't be misconstrued as endorsing pornog pornography for minors or something like that, uh, or, or consenting adults for that matter. These, these are choices you get to make. But uh, regarding the First Amendment, the Supreme Court has consistently found a right to both anonymous speech and anonymous association. And these laws that require ID verification, and Mississippi's only focuses on what they consider to be pornographic websites. Uh, but there's other states that have applied this to just general social media usage. Uh, and that could be problematic because it is eliminating your ability to be anonymous online. You have to provide a government ID. Uh, to use online services. Uh, the Supreme Court has affirmed this right to anonymity in uh, over a dozen cases, uh, including some civil rights era cases in the South, uh, where law enforcement tried to use court orders to reveal membership of NAACP chapters. Uh, that, that was a fairly transparent attempt to try to intimidate them into no longer associating with the groups. Uh, you could see potentially the same sort of thing here where you have a – if you are able to be identified – uh, then that could be used to show your membership in something that people find questionable or unsavory. Uh, the problem here is that the right to anonymous speech online has never been affirmed by the Supreme Court. So we have mixed lower court rulings as to whether that in-person uh, anonymity can extend into the online space. Something that is standing out in this law is that it will define the websites as obscene if 33.3 percent, one-third of the content on that site is considered you know, obscene materials by the definition and the law, and it does go into pretty in-depth detail about what that definition entails. But what could it mean for social media platforms going forward, ones that, ones that have been hailing as centers of free speech and have allowed that type of content on their site, but at the same time – They've also had plenty of other conversations on those sites that have been perfectly family-friendly. I think this is an area where the law is written well to anticipate this. Uh, there's, I think, seven states at the time we're having this conversation that have passed similar laws uh, requiring age verification for what they consider pornographic websites. They're all written almost exactly the same, uh, and they all reference – they don't say it outright, but they're referencing something called the Miller Test – uh, this is from a case in the 1970s called Miller versus California, and it's the modern test for obscene speech. Uh, we've been using the term pornography a lot, and in news media coverage, that's typically what it's referred to as. But specifically, this law is about obscenity. That's a legal term uh, for unprotected speech that does not have First Amendment protections. Uh, through our history, we had really bad ways of defining obscenity. Uh, Justice Potter Stewart famously wrote, he couldn't define obscenity, but he knew it when he saw it. 
that that doesn't work in a legal context. Fortunately, with the Miller test, you have something a little more concrete, and that's what Mississippi's law and other laws define it as, uh, an average person using contemporary community standards finding the entire work appealing to what we call a prurient interest, those specifically defined pieces of content that you mentioned. If you read the law, uh, there's some terms in there you wouldn't expect legislators to be using. It's specifically because they have to define exactly what it is they're talking about that broaches that line of obscenity. Uh, and it has to be totally without any other sort of value. So if you're using what would be defined normally as obscenity to make a social point, to make a political point, to make a religious point, uh, if there's a larger meaning to it, then this law would not restrict that content or require age verification for that type of content. And with the 33.3% threshold for the platform as a whole, you think of all of the posts that are all the videos that are on YouTube, all the posts that are on Instagram, uh, finding enough content that reaches that narrow definition of obscenity to also cross that 33 and a third percent threshold of the entire content on the platform seems very unlikely. I also wanted to talk about virtual private networks and what those could mean for this legislation. There has been a growing number of these uh, services that are being advertised online. Typically what they'll do is just allow you to connect to a server in a remote location and use that geographic data to send to the internet provider. For instance, use that to log into a service and get content that is region locked. Or you can, in this case, potentially bypass state laws around how the content can be accessed. Do you think that's going to be something that lawmakers are going to have to reconsider going forward? What VPNs mean to this type of legislation is that, as with all attempts to regulate the Internet, tech-savvy tech teenagers are going to evade it. They're going to find a way around it. Uh, VPNs make that pretty easy to do. But that also brings up another constitutional issue. Uh, so I mentioned that the definition of obscenity in the Mississippi law and others like it is pretty narrowly tailored. I think they did a good job of wording it where they're not going to accidentally ban or require age verification on a lot of content they didn't mean to. But the other thing is that the law is supposed to achieve a substantial state interest. It's supposed to address the problem that they're actually trying to address without creating an undue burden on people that would normally be allowed to access the content, you know, adults of consenting age. If this age verification thing is a real hassle and everybody's bypassing it anyway using virtual private networks, then is it actually accomplishing the state interest? And if it's not accomplishing the state interest, then is it a legitimate restriction on everybody who has the right to access the content but keeps having to jump through all these hoops to get to it? Dylan McLemore is an associate professor of communications at the University of Central Arkansas. Professor McLemore, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, Mississippi's largest teacher association announces its first round of political endorsements. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. 
the MPB Public Media app just got an update. It's now easier than ever to interact with your favorite MPB local shows and experts. With the brand new Talk to Us feature, you can engage with your favorite MPB local shows anytime, day or night, directly through the app. Simply select Talk to Us from the MPB Public Media app's menu. There, you can leave a question, share show ideas, or simply just say hello. With the new Talk to Us feature, you have access to your favorite MPB local shows and experts anytime you want to talk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Association of Educators, the largest teacher group in the state, has announced their first round of political endorsements. The association president, Erica Jones, says public education has become a crucial topic among lawmakers in recent years. Mississippi public schools are emerging as a central theme in this year's elections. Now, let's talk about what we know about our public schools here in the state. We know that 90 percent of our Mississippi students attend public schools. We also know that our schools serve a diverse section of our students across Mississippi. And we also know that our students deserve quality and effective educators, up-to-date learning materials, and safe and clean schools. Teachers and their assistants in Mississippi have received some significant raises in recent years, bringing the state above the national average. But Experts say it's not enough due to rising inflation and growing insurance costs. Also, state revenue has exceeded expectations in recent years. A growing number of lawmakers in both major parties are wanting to expand public school funding. Jones says they want to endorse candidates that support that effort. Our goal at MAE is to elect candidates who are actively doing what is possible to make sure that our public schools across the state are great for all of our students. Again, over 90% of our students attend public schools. When we look over at our endorsed candidates, as we looked at the bills that they supported, we really wanted to align with those candidates who supported public education. Those were some of the factors in our endorsement process. Many of the first-round endorsements are Democrats, but the list also includes several Republican lawmakers such as Senators Chad McMahon of Guntown and Nicole Boyd of Oxford. The organization has not announced an endorsement for lieutenant governor yet. To determine these endorsements, spokesperson Pam Johnson says they considered recent voting patterns for public education policy. But of course, obviously, you know, it would be the um, big teacher pay raises. We we're looking at um, that $100 million. Um, we were looking at votes for things like that might not have passed, like community schools. Did you want to add anything, President Jones? Thanks, Pam. I know you pointed out to community school bills. And as always, uh, we really took a look at those issues that were impacting our public schools across the state. Uh, you, as you all might uh, remember, we did a lot of advocating around ensuring that not only our educators are receiving a livable wage, but we also advocated around social and emotional issues that are occurring in our classrooms, uh, looking at bills that address those issues. The organization has endorsed Democratic gubernatorial candidate Brandon Presley, though he hasn't been a lawmaker in recent years. Jones says he supports the policies they want to see passed. 
when we looked at that particular race, uh, one thing that we looked at over the past four years that our current governor, Tate Reeves, he's really been absent as a leader and an advocate for our public schools here in the state. Uh, we really need someone who is willing and able to step into the forefront when it comes to public education. For example, I've had an opportunity to speak with leaders across the nation, and I hear over and over again, Thank God for Mississippi, especially when it comes to our test scores, when it comes to Mississippi's ranking in our public schools, and they're being compared to other schools across the nation. We really wanted a leader who was able to step out front and address those concerns that we have around public schools. And we feel that Brendan Presley is going to be the candidate to do that for us because, as I stated, in the past, we've noticed that our current governor has not really taken on a leadership role and being an advocate for our public schools here in the state. Erica Jones is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.